Um, and before we get started, I just, I announced this this morning. If you come to high school at 9.30 in the mornings, we break into small groups, really cool time. Um, but I announced this this morning, but there's a few of you that weren't here. And so if you go to this next slide real quick, um, this is uh, Beck Flora. This is her right here. Um, she lives in Lesotho, Africa. Her parents are missionaries in Africa. That's about a 16-hour flight and then a seven-hour drive to get to where she lives. And she is 14 years old, um, <clears throat> and she is there in a country where she doesn't speak the language, and she doesn't um, always have cell phone access. She can't just get on online. She can't connect with her friends um, like y'all can, even living right next to one another. And, <clears throat> and she's in this country, and I want you to think about if that was you for just a second, how, how hard that would be. Some of you probably would run away from your home if your parents said, we're moving to Africa. Um, some of you <clears throat> would absolutely flip out and freak out. She didn't do that. She said, God, you know, wherever God's calling us, like, we'll go. <clears throat> but in doing that, it's not an easy thing to do. And so she um, is just struggling a little bit. Her parents are actually members of our church. And so if she um, was in the States right now, she would be here as part of this youth group. Um, and so that's back for That's her Instagram. Um, and she's, again, the one in the middle. And so I just encourage you, uh, my encouragement and my hope is that her Instagram would just be flooded with love from us, that you would be following her, um, that you would be um, reaching out to her, uh, DM her, whatever it is, um, as long as it's appropriate. Um, don't be weird. Um, but that we would just, we would just um, flood her with love from here, um, even though she's thousands of miles away, uh, that she would know, hey, she's not alone. Um, and some of the toughest, and I tell you what, being in high school is absolutely some of the toughest years of your life. Because not only are things happening in you that are, that are weird, and not only is your brain fogged with hormones and, and, and all sorts of, of weird um, imbalances often, but then also everyone else is that way, and they tend to be kind of mean when they're that way. And so it's just not even the nicest period of time. And so I know it's hard. And so she's dealing with that kind of by herself. And so my encouragement to y'all would be, just let her know she's not. You know, let her know that we actually are here for her and we haven't forgot about her. And so even though many of you haven't even met her before, um, I just encourage you to reach out. <laughs> All right, so we're going through a new series called Undeserved. Undeserved, and we're talking about grace. Um, so a little bit about myself. Many of you know I have a two-year-old. His name's Levi. He was running around here uh, playing with the basketball probably. Um, and then I have a two-month-old. Her name is Kennedy, and she's just like the chunkiest little baby. The doctor was like, at her two-month appointment, the doctor was like, that baby is the size of a three-and-a-half-month-old. And I was like, yep. Um, she's huge, and she's heavy. Um, but she's beautiful, and she smiles all the time. Anyway, <clears throat> we also um, just recently, my wife and I just made um, a decision um, to... Uh, through compassion to, to adopt a child through compassion. So not adopt a child. Don't hear me wrong. Like I'm not adopting a kid. Um, but through compassion, this summer we went um, to camp, to summer camp. This, this, it's in the summer, so it's summer camp. Um, but we went to camp this summer. And many of you went, an amazing experience. Uh, but there was compassion. And they offered the opportunity um, to adopt a child uh, who was in an impoverished area. And so my wife and I had been praying about it for a while, uh, whether we wanted to do that or not. And so we decided that, yes, uh, we were going to pray about it. And, and then, yes, we were going to do it. And so we adopted a child there at summer camp. We didn't tell a bunch of people or anything like that, but we just wanted it to be someone. And we felt like God was calling us um, 
to support someone. And so this is our uh, child. I just took a picture of her. I took a picture of a picture. Um, she actually, uh, this is actually a little bit of tape because it's stuck to our mirror in our bathroom where we see her uh, all the time so we can be praying for her. Um, her name's Aline. She's from uh, Rwanda. She's four years old. And she turns five on February 15th. Many of you have adopted, maybe, or you've heard about kids, and some of you have adopted kids from Compassion, that, that on your bathroom windows or on your refrigerators, you got a picture just like this with a kid just like that. I want you just to imagine what it would be like, though, for a second, that you're there um, in your village, in the poorest of the poor, you're, you're hungry. Uh, you, your, your fears for that day are not, uh, what am I going to wear today? Your fears are, are not, uh, what, what are the kids going to say at school today because I got my hair cut weird and I don't know if it looks cute or not? Are they going to like my new shoes I got for Christmas? Uh, am I, do I have all my homework done? Am I going to pass that test today? How am I going to do in sports? Is, is that going to go okay? I haven't practicing the way I was. I ate too much pie over the Christmas break. Is that going to affect me? Will there be people looking at me for sports? How am I going to get a scholarship to college? That's not their worries. Kids like that, their worries are, how am I going to eat today? Where am I going to get water? Is that water going to be clean? Am I going to be safe to get there without being kidnapped? Where are we going to sleep? Who's going to provide my clothes? What if I get an infection? Where do I get medicine? That is their situation. And then I want you to think, just to take it a step further. Someone comes and they knock on, on, on your hut or your rondavel, your shack, your house that you made out of old signs and cardboard and whatnot. <clears throat> and they say, hey, you don't need to worry about food anymore. You don't need to worry about water anymore. Your clothes, we got that covered. Hey, your, your education, got it until you're 18. And for some of these people in this country, they, they get it until they're like 21. They put them to a, through a trade school. Now, instantly, all the things that, that really are, are real fears, they're not, they're not the ones that here in America we, we kind of act as, as real fears or, or kind of think and forget that they aren't really big deals, but that we make big deals. Like they're real fears that deal with real life. Like all of a sudden someone says, hey, don't, don't worry about that anymore. Now there's someone going to feed you. Now there's someone going to, to get you clean water. Now there's someone going to provide clothes for you and an education for you. <clears throat> and why? And Why? See, for my wife and I, there was something in us that when we look at her, we said, man, she matters. And it wasn't her in particular, right? There's nothing different about her and any other Rwandan child ever. There's nothing different about her and any other kid that was on that table when we picked her up. 
Yet something in us said, no, she matters. Yet she has our unearned and undeserved favor. Yet she has our love. And $38 comes out of my pocket and goes towards her every month. And it tells her every month, hey, you matter to me. Hey, I care deeply for you. That you didn't earn it, that you couldn't have possibly earned it, or you couldn't have possibly done anything to pay for it. Why? Because you're all the way across the country and you're four years old. Yet you have my favor, unearned and undeserved. That's grace. And scripture says that we are that child. And that God saw us and said, you're worthy of adoption. And in fact, I I want to adopt you. He says in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which, which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By my unearned and undeserved favor for you, you have been saved. It's much worse than a lien. It's not this innocent child who really didn't put herself in that predicament, but was born into it. Us, who we've kind of put ourselves in our own predicament, chosen our own past. He says, you were dead in your sins. But God being rich in mercy... Because of his great love for you, mercy says, I want you to hear this, mercy says, you've done something wrong, but I will withhold punishment from you. He says, because of his great mercy and his love for us, gave us life through Jesus. It wasn't free to him. He said, but I gave my son as a sacrifice to die for you. Unearned and undeserved. He says, it is by grace. Mercy says, I'm not going to punish you for the thing you've done. And grace says, in fact, not only am I not going to punish you for this thing, but I'm going to wipe it completely away as if you've never done it, as if I've never seen it, as if there is no offense here. That I'm completely cleaning the slate. He says, you are that child. He goes on, or he actually, that's a restatement of what he puts in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, 7 through, through 10. He says, in him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I want you to understand this forgiveness. This word forgiveness means, it's not like, It's not like what we experience when we forgive others or when others say they forgive us. This forgiveness, it means to to carry away or or almost to be a scapegoat. They would bring a goat into the town where they were at back in in Bible times. 
And they would speak all the sins of the town on to this goat. This goat would represent everything sinful, everything that opposed God and opposed his calling on their life. For us, man, right, my goat would be so filthy, right? I'd have so much nastiness on it. And they would put all of the sins on this goat. They'd speak it over the goat. And then they would release the goat into the wilderness, never to be seen again, never to be talked about again, to be gone for forever. He says, that's forgiveness that God would, would be, be the scapegoat, that Jesus would be the scapegoat to, to, to carry all of our sins, never to be spoken about. That's forgiveness. is not what we experience when we, we get in a fight with somebody and then we say we forgive each other. And then six months later, you get in a fight again. And what do you know? They bring up the last thing that they said they were over already. God says, no, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is where I wipe it completely clean. That whatever guilt you're holding on to, whatever shame you have, whatever is in you that's lying to you and telling you, no, the things you've done are too nasty for God. The things you've done are unworthy of God's love. The things you've done, he can never get over. The things that are tempting you, the things that you think are so messed up about you. God says, no, I, I've forgiven that. And it is gone never to be, to be brought up again, never to offend me again. He says, but in fact, he says, I have forgiven you by this, by the riches of my grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. <clears throat> See, our tendency is like we have a natural inclination to say people matter. We are a natural inclination to say, we look at this girl who's unearned and undeserved favor she has of ours. We see her and we're like, we care about you and you matter to us and we know you matter to us. Something in us naturally says that. If you adopted a kid from a compassion, something in you naturally says, I don't know why, but I know that kid matters. It's in us. It's built in us. That's why you see in mass shootings, you hear about all the heroic stories about people running back into the line of fire to save strangers, to save people that they don't know. Why? Because something in them says those people matter too. You look at people that run in the car wrecks. When a big car wreck happens and people run in and they start saving people and pulling people out or people that run into burning buildings. Why? Because they're saying, man, why should they die? They matter. Those people matter. That in us, naturally, we know that people matter, but then people offend us, and then people make us mad, and we think everyone matters except for that person because they're a jerk, and they don't matter to me anymore. And we go through a series of things where we convince ourselves that certain people don't matter, and they become so cold to us that we don't matter if they live or die. We don't matter if they get a job or they live on the streets the rest of their life. We don't matter. They don't matter if we've never seen them again. We don't care. Because why? Because they offended me. They embarrassed me. They're jerks. We have a tendency to withhold grace from certain people. And God's saying, as filthy as you are, as bad as I saw you, as, as wrong as you have been to me or to anyone else, he says, I'm lavishing my grace on you. I'm not withholding it. 
This word lavish, he means to pour or to heap or to cover. He says, man, I want to cover you in my grace. I want it to be dripping off of you. I want you to smell like grace and I want you to look like grace and I want you to to be grace. He says, man, I've lavished it on you. Why? So that I could unite all things to myself so that there is nothing separating you from me. That there is no sin, that there is no burden, that there is no shame or guilt that you hold. He says, man, Jesus paid for that all. He lavished his grace on us so that we may be made right before God, that we may be united with God. And then he goes on just one step further. It's in verse 13. He says, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He says, not only have I lavished my grace on you, not only have I redeemed you and made you right with me, but then I sealed you. If you could go back to that picture real quick of Aline, just for a second. He said, I I didn't seal you like an envelope and say, hey, my salvation is safe like this, but it can be torn open. He says, man, I sealed you like a weld, that I welded my Holy Spirit in you and I welded that heart shut, that there is nothing you can do. It's as if I I went to her and I told her, hey, there's nothing you can do in Rwanda right now that would cause me to stop paying for your adoption. There's nothing that you could say. There's no letter you could write. There's no rebellious action you could take to stop. Now, there are those who have been presented with adoption. And the person knocked on the hut and said, hey, God wants to adopt you. And they said, Mm, I changed my mind. I don't want it. That easily when the lady from Compassion or the man from Compassion went to Aline's family and said, there's someone who wants to adopt you, they could have said, man, we changed our mind and we don't want it anymore. That that is totally an option for you. But they didn't, they accepted it with open arms and said, yes, I will take adoption. I will take new life. I will take grace. I will take the undeserved and unearned favor that someone that I'll never meet, maybe, maybe I'll meet, I don't know, someone that I don't know is giving me. And God says, man, I'm here to adopt that I I am unearned and undeserved. And then when you enter into adoption, it is sealed that nothing that you can do from here on out is going to take that away unless you turn and say, no, I don't want adoption anymore. I'm out. But he said, there's no rebelliousness. There is no sin. He said, that's grace. It's not by what you've done. And so there's nothing you could do to get rid of it either. He said, that's grace. He sent his son, he sacrificed, he made a payment that it cost me something to show grace. That it cost God something great to show grace. And why did he do it? Because we matter to him. 
And so no matter what the lies of, of the world say, no matter who tells you you don't matter, no matter who says, no, you're worthless and you're not worthy of anything or, or worthy of life, grace says that you absolutely matter. Jesus says that you absolutely matter to the point that he would give his own life for you. That's what he, how much he says you matter. That's how valuable he says you are. That grace says you matter. The world wants to feed you with a lot of lies. And I encourage you when you start to believe that, that you would return to the truth. That God says, no, I made you and I love you and I want to adopt you. And I, maybe I have adopted you if you've placed your faith in Jesus. And he says, and you matter. And my grace says you matter. Because I don't give grace to things that don't matter. We're that same way. We write people off. We don't give grace to the people that we think, man, they don't matter. Right or wrong, that's the way it is. God says, man, I don't give grace to the things I, that don't matter. But I've given you grace. Why? Because you matter. You matter. That should change the, tra the trajectory of your life. He finishes with this, and I'm going to close with this. is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He goes on again to restate it. You got to understand, man, if you're saying something over and over and over again, man, there must be some reason that we should pay attention to, that it is important. And he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, not even a result of lack of works, so that no one can boast or brag. He says, but in fact, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. He says, not only have I given you grace, he says, but I've given you grace for the place you are. He says, man, I've created good things for you to do. And some of you look around, and you say, man, but what has God created good for me to do? He's put you in the classes that he's put you in. He's put you in the families that he's put you in with the people around you in the neighborhoods that he's put you in and the friend groups that he's put you in. He says, man, I've created a lot of avenues for you to do good work. And then I've soaked you in grace. And it's like a dog that you just gave a bath to when he shakes off all the nasty, just gets everywhere. And he says, man, I've soaked you in grace so that where you go, you would shake the grace off, that everyone would be affected by the grace that you put on them. See, it is grace. It is through grace that we receive life. And it is through grace that you will encourage life. If you want to know a condition of even this group, that we play a game up here, I want you to hear this, and this is no hate on anyone. It just simply shows you the heartbeat and the health of this group, that, that we have so much to accomplish, that we pull tags from that bowl. And I was like, even scared, like, I was like, man, should I even say this? But I'm going to say it anyway, right? We pull tags from the bowl and people don't stand up. Why? Because there's, they're too embarrassed of judgment in even this room. 
that there's not enough grace even in here for someone to say, man, I'll stand up and I don't even know what the game is and I'll completely embarrass myself. Why? Because I know there's grace here and I know they love me and I know I have their unearned and undeserved favor that even if I embarrass myself, they're not saying, I'm not that guy's friend anymore. He looked like a dummy on stage, right? They're saying, man, no, I love you regardless. I was hilarious. I'm gonna get it. I, I already put it on my Instagram story, right? Like it's on social media forever, right? There's no, there's not enough grace. If you want the heartbeat, you want to know how well we're being, how well we're doing. And here's what I want you to understand. I'm a big dude, but I'm not big enough to, to shake grace off so that everyone is impacted by it. That you are more impactful at, at encouraging life in your friends with grace than I will ever be. Most of you think I'm old, and that means I'm irrelevant to some of you. You will be more impactful, that God has created good works for you to do so that we would be grace, that we would be people, even in this room, but in our schools and in our homes and in our families, that we would be people that not only are saved by grace, but are encouraging life through grace. You want the trajectory of your life to change. Be a person who realizes that Jesus has soaked you in grace. And then go and be someone who says, man, my goal is to soak everyone else in grace until they say, man, why am I soaking in your grace? And you say, because I am soaked in Jesus's grace. That through grace, we find life and through grace, we encourage life. I encourage you to be a person who's encouraging life. Let us live in grace. Let us be a youth group where we can call numbers and act complete fools in front of one another and be able to just laugh and enjoy life together. That we love each other that much and it's that evident. You're like, I don't even know these people's names. That doesn't matter. Like shake a hand. Like get off your phone and like high five somebody. Be a person who's encouraging life.